Hey y'all. Uh, happy Halloween. I'm not very good at Halloween, as you can see, so I wore normal clothes. Sorry. Um, before I start, I just wanted to say that uh, Wayne, and Olivia and I, um, we just love y'all. And uh, we're here for you, so I just wanted to say, like, please never hesitate to approach us and reach out to us for anything. We're happy to talk to you about literally anything and everything going on in life. Um, so just know that we're here for you. Uh, we love you. Um, yeah, I wanted to say that. Um, so if you've been with us at all this, this year, you know that Way has been preaching through the book of Hebrews. Um, I'm actually going to be stepping out of Hebrews tonight. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, Ephesians was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And uh, this is actually one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible. So if you want to turn there, or if you want to uh, look at your bulletins in there, um, hear the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, This is God's word, and in it he tells us that his word will never return void. Uh, It's never going to come up empty. And because of that, we can believe that it's true. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this time, um, each week for us to come together and worship, Lord. We just ask for you to send your Holy Spirit tonight, Lord. Would you open our hearts um, to your word and to what your word is telling us. pray in your name. Amen. All right, so John Stott, you might have heard of him. He was um, an English writer and commentator. He has a quote that describes this passage. Um, He basically describes it as plumbing to the depths of pessimism about man and then immediately rising to the heights of optimism about God. Um, And I think he's right, right? The first few verses are all about human depravity, the deadness of sinners, pretty bleak stuff. Uh, But then he turns around and he tells us in the next seven verses about God's amazing grace. Um, and how it's a gift to us. Um, it makes me think of if you were to climb to the top of a mountain. Um, think of your, if you're standing on the peak and you're looking down like into the valley below and you think how crazy it is that you started way down there. Um, I think that's kind of the picture that Paul is giving us in, in this passage, except the picture that he's giving us is much more vast, much more powerful than that. Um, so you may have heard Wade do this before, um, or someone else. Uh, I think a good, a good thing to do when you're reading a passage of the Bible is to ask yourself two questions. Question one is, all right, so what is this passage telling me about myself, mankind, right, um, and our fallen state? And then question two is, what does this passage tell us about Jesus and how he redeems us? Um, so that's going to be our outline for the night. Only two points tonight. Sorry to disappoint. Um, so the first, the first question is, what does this passage tell us about ourselves, right, about mankind? Um, before I dive too far into that, though, I wanted to point something out that's really important and really 
really cool, actually. Um, in the letter, Paul says that he's addressing both the Jews and the Gentiles at Ephesus. Uh, and this is actually a big deal because um, all through the Old Testament, um, the Gentiles were historically apart from God. Uh, they were outside of his promises, outside of his covenant. Um, but in the New Testament, we actually see them brought near. We, we see them um, become a part of one body of believers. Uh, and that's just, I think that's cool, right? Because they spent all this time um, being alienated from God. And in the New Testament, we see that they are actually, they become one with, with the rest of uh, the body of Christ. Um, if we were to read a little further, we would see Paul talking directly to the Gentiles. Um, he described them as, at one time separated from Christ, um, alienated, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. Uh, it's pretty strong language, right? Um, but he says later on that they become fellow heirs um, with everyone else. And so I wanted to point that out really for two reasons. One, I think it tells us that Paul is addressing all types of people in this letter. Um, he's not just addressing one certain type of person. Um, when he's talking about the deadness of sinners, he's talking about everybody, not just one particular type. Um, and I also think it tells us that um, there aren't any requirements anymore to be a part of uh, the family of God, right? There are no, there's no conditions, no prerequisites. Uh, there's no certain type of person that can belong to God's family. Um, with Jesus, he actually welcomes all, all types of people. So I wanted us just to kind of put that on as a lens uh, as we look further. Um, so yeah, what does what is this passage telling us about ourselves? Uh, the big one is that it says that we were dead in our sin, right? Um, uh, somebody said that, uh, you know, this passage is saying men are not well. We aren't even sick. We're dead. Uh, and then David in Psalm 51 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Right? He, he's not talking about the conception of him being sinful. What he's talking about is we're actually born into sin from the moment we come into existence. Right? Even before sin, he says, or even before birth. Um, sin is just a part of our nature. Um, that's pretty powerful language, right? Um, Think about what it means to be dead, right? Not living, not breathing, not sick. Totally dead. Um, so we might ask, like, what does that even mean for, for someone to be dead in their own sin? What does that look like? I think someone who's dead in their sin is someone who's totally blind to Jesus. Totally blind to the work of the Holy Spirit. Blind to the glory of God, right? Someone who doesn't care about God at all. Someone who doesn't care about their thoughts or their actions or the consequences of their thoughts or actions. Um, yeah, I, it makes me think of someone who has no regard to a higher power whatsoever. Um, you, might, you might think to yourself, well, okay, I actually know a lot of non-Christians that seem very alive to me. Uh, and I think that's a fair thing to say, right? Um, but if we, believe, if we believe that the Bible is true, uh, the fact is that if you don't know Jesus, then you're dead in your sin, right? Uh, it doesn't matter how happy you are, how healthy you are, how successful you are. Um, it's just our nature. We were born into it, right? Um, yeah. Our very, and it doesn't even, it's not even our sinning that makes us sinners. It's just our, like I said before, it's just our, we were born into it. It's our very nature. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we have to realize that we need a Savior to, to save us from that, right? Um, what else does it tell us? Look at verse 2. He talks about um, walking, following the course of this world, right? And I think it's important to point out that that's, 
that's not a walk that it's not a walk of freedom, right? It's, there's no liberty in that. It's it's more of a a bondage or a, a burden tying us to the world, tying us to Satan, um, because that's that's what it means when it says the prince of the power of the air that he's talking about Satan. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like a bondage to the world or to Satan himself, right? Um, as cheesy as it is, it kind of makes me think of The Walking Dead. Anybody? Walking Dead. Um, the zombies in The Walking Dead are dead. But they're still walking around the world wreaking havoc all over the place, right? That's almost, I know that's silly. That's almost the picture that we get of ourselves, or at least the way we were born, is that we're dead in our sin, but we're still walking around the earth, right? Um, yeah, and what else does it tell us? Uh, there, it tells us that the passions and desires of the flesh are also, by nature, sinful. Um, and I don't want us to think that that means that our desire to be healthy, to have friends, to get married, uh, to have a career, I don't think desiring that is inherently evil because God did, He created those things. Um, but it's when our desire for those things become gluttonous or uh, when we chase after those things greedily, I think that's where our sin lies, right? When you, when you really want to be friends with the people on your hall, that isn't sinful. But whenever you idolize a certain friend group or whenever you turn your, your social status into your identity, right, that's, that's following the course of the world. Or if you really want to get in shape, right, you're just taking care of the body that God gave you. That's a good thing. Um, but if exercise turns into this object of your worship, right, you're never satisfied with the results. You're never satisfied with the way your body looks, right? That's kind of a burden, right? You're, you're tied to the world if you do that. Or if, if your desire for intimacy or marriage um, turns into lust or porn or sex, um, that's a bondage to the things of this world, right? And I think, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we see this, we see this as true in our own lives and in the lives of people that we know. We see it pretty often, right? Um, we see the power that sin has over us. Uh, no matter how hard we try to defeat it, we just can't, right? It can control us. Uh, I definitely feel this, and I think, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would, we would say that we felt that before too. All right, what else, what else is the, these first few, uh, first few verses telling us? Uh, it tells us that we are by nature children of wrath. Uh, listen to John 3.36. It says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You might think, okay, why is God so angry? Um, if you look back in Genesis 3, we see the fall of man. Uh, we see... Adam and Eve disobeying the simplest of commands, right? Don't eat of that tree. Uh, and it's funny because Adam and Eve were in absolute paradise. They had everything they could have wanted, plus more. And they were in perfect communion with God. Yet they disobeyed the one rule they were given. Um, yeah, so God commanded obedience then. And he commands obedience now, right? God is unchanging. That hasn't changed. And so John 3 is pretty clear in telling us that, look, all it takes to have eternal life is to believe in Jesus. Um, but if you don't, then yeah, you're going to be subject to the wrath of God. It's serious stuff, right? Um, now, I don't want us to think that all of this that I'm saying means that, um, that humans are totally incapable of doing good. Um, but I do think that it means that we are just imperfect bearers of God's perfect image. 
Right? We were made in God's image, but we don't hold to that perfectly, right? Not even close. Um, yeah, it's just important for us to realize that there's not any part of us that isn't affected by the fall. Um, as we said, by nature, we were just born into sin. Uh, we're broken. Um, I think these first few verses tell us very clearly that we just need help. We need someone or something to save us. Um, scripture tells us that, look, there's one way to, to achieve salvation, and it's obedience. Um, and so, are we doomed? If, we're, if we can't do anything for ourselves, if we're so broken, if we can't obey, then are we just doomed? And thankfully, uh, the answer that Scripture gives us is a resounding no, uh, because... Jesus actually came and lived as a human man, and he actually lived a perfectly obedient life. Um, just so he could give us credit for that. Um, yeah, listen to Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Um, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling our record of debt that stood against us. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All right, it's amazing. Um, that's actually a, a perfect segue into our second point, which is, what does the passage tell us about Jesus and how he redeems, right? Um, it tells us that God, even when we were dead in our sin, uh, he actually made us alive together with Christ. And I, wanna, I want us to really focus on this. He seated us with Jesus in heaven. I want that to sink in for a second. Um, Jesus is the king of kings. He's the savior of the world. He's the perfect son of God. Uh, and God actually lifts us to the same level and status as Jesus himself. Um, that is, that's amazing. Um, if you really think about what that means. Um, it says that just because God is rich in mercy, he didn't just save us from the damnation that we deserve. He actually lifted us to the same level and status as Jesus himself. Um, there's a really awesome illustration about all this uh, in the Old Testament, actually. Um, if you were to read Ezekiel 37, you would read about uh, God takes Ezekiel to this valley, and the valley floor is full of dry bones, like human remains. Uh, and he, he asks Ezekiel, he says, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, O oh Lord, only you know. And God tells him to, to prophesy to the bones, and he says, Ezekiel says this, he says, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, Behold, I will cause, cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and you will know that I am Lord. So Ezekiel says this, and what happens? The bones actually form together, right? Flesh appears on them, and they, they actually become life. Um, yeah, this is a powerful picture of God's ability and willingness to bring us from a state of total death to a state of living, breathing life, right? Uh, those bones, he tells them to, the bones to hear his word. And then he breathes life into them. And so they go from total death to perfect life. Um, I don't know if that sounds familiar, but Jesus was actually dead. He was really dead. And after three days, he was brought to actual life. Um, so I think that's an awesome picture um, yeah, of God actually lifting us from death to life. Uh, and what's amazing is that uh, the passage says this isn't of our own doing. Uh, it's actually a gift of God. Think about a gift. A gift is totally free to you, right? Um, it says by grace we have been saved. 
right? How can bones do anything to save themselves? How can a dead person do anything to, to, bring, to bring themselves life, right? They can't. Um, but God actually does it for us, and he does it for free. I'm going to quote John Stott again. Uh, he says, We must never think of salvation as a transaction in which God contributes grace and we contribute faith. Uh, and I think what he's saying is that God isn't just kind of waiting for us to offer up some faith so that he, in turn, can give us some grace back. Um, I think this is really important for us to realize that that's not the way it works. Uh, and that grace really is a totally free gift, right? Um, we don't pay anything because Christ actually paid a price to gain us, uh, which is pretty crazy if you think about it. Um, listen to a part of Revelation 21.6. Libby just read it for us, actually. Uh, he, Jesus says, To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. That's pretty clear, right? Um, but I will say, I think I know that this is kind of a hard idea for us to swallow, right? Because we live in America. Like, you do it, you, you work hard, and you don't get anything unless you earn it with your own two hands, right? There's no handouts. You don't take anything for free. You only take something if you've earned it, <laughs> right? That's kind of the American dream, is starting from the bottom and working your way up so you can have the white picket fence and the happy family, and the golden retriever, and the retirement plan, and the boat, okay? Um, But it's important for us to realize that that's just not how Christianity works. We can work all we want, and we can work as long as we want, as hard as we want. Uh, And it's it's not going to earn us anything uh, in Christianity. Um, So yeah, without God, without his truly unmerited favor on us, um, we are nothing, right? Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 15, he says... I am the vine, and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And simply put, he's just saying, we need it. We need Jesus. Uh, and I want us to hear this as, as really good news. Um, because if we really think about what this is telling us, um, it's telling us that our salvation is not up to us. Right? We, we can't follow the law perfectly. Um, we can't do good enough We can't be a good enough Christian. Um, But the good news is that Jesus did follow the law perfectly when he lived as a a real human. Um, And if we believe that's true, we're credited with the very salvation, or with the very perfection that he achieved. Um, Think about this. Do you know that if you believe in Jesus, uh, when God looks at you, he actually doesn't see your sin at all. Right? He doesn't see uh, your worst mistakes He doesn't see your selfishness, your rebelliousness, right? Uh, He doesn't see your worst thoughts, your idols. He sees Jesus himself. Um, It's it's amazing. Um, What else does it tell us? It tells us that even the faith that we have is a gift. I think this is hard to swallow too. um, Because it's telling us that even, even the faith that we have in Jesus is given to us as a gift, right? It's not of our own doing. Um, There's actually some arguments among scholars and whoever else uh, over whether, so the part where it says, it is a gift of God. Um, They argue about whether the it is referring to the grace being a gift or the faith being a gift. Um, I'm not a scholar. But I think since it's already become clear to us that the grace, 
God's grace is a total gift. Um, and if God, if he breathes life into our dry bones, and if he raises us from the dead and offers us heaven um, for free, then I think, I think we can safely assume that he's the only one that can give us the faith to believe that any of that is true. Because we are so broken without him, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's incredible. There's a couple other things I'm going to point out um, from these last few verses. Um, so look at verse 7. It's basically telling us that we are trophies of grace for God, right? Um, when I was a kid, I was horrible at baseball. Horrible. Uh, but I played for several years. And you know what they gave me after every season? A trophy. Uh, and I was really proud of that trophy. Why was I proud of that trophy? Because it was mine. And that's how God feels about us, right? He's proud because he wants us to belong to him. Uh, he wants to protect us. He wants to save us from suffering. Um, yeah, he wants us to be a part of his family. Um, also look at verse 10. It says that we are God's workmanship. And it's interesting because uh, the Greek word that they use for workmanship there uh, could also be translated as poem, um, which is really powerful, I think, because that just means that when God made us, he was, he was creating a work of art, right? We're, we're his masterpiece. Um, think about, okay, the Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa is uh, the most valuable, the most visited, the most written about, the most talked about work of art in the history of the world, right? It is considered a true masterpiece. Um, and that's actually what we are to God. Uh, he made us so that he could love us. Uh, and it's pretty remarkable if you think about that. And it says not only uh, are we as workmanship, it says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Um, I've been talking a lot about how our works don't save us, which is true. Uh, but we were made to do them, right? According to this verse. Uh, if we are God's masterpiece, then I think that should make us want to do good works for him, right? Um, Christians are called to live differently. Not for our own glory, but so that we can point people towards Christ, right? And part of that is to do good works. Um, and we can, we can do those good works because we realize, because we realize that uh, God gave us this free gift of grace um, just because he loves us. Uh, all right, and so if we think about all this that I've been talking about, I think this actually frees us up a lot. Not in the way that we can realize, like, okay, well, if grace is a free gift and I can't do anything to earn it, then sweet. Like, I guess I can chill. Like, I don't have to do anything else. Uh, and that's not what I want us to hear. I don't want you to hear me saying that. Um, but I do think that it frees us up in the way that we don't have to be moralistic or legalistic when it comes to our faith. Um, yeah, we, we can realize that following the rules doesn't save us. And that we actually can't, we can't even follow them perfectly anyways. Not even close. Uh, but what we can see more and more is the true majesty of God. Um, we can see the unbelievable riches of his grace, right? And as we see this more and more, we'll actually want to live more like him. Uh, we'll actually want to repent more. We'll actually want to live in a way that is going to point people to God, right? We're going to want to live in a way that brings glory to our loving Father. Um, 
All right, so let me, let me rein this all in. Um, th- there's another quote I wanted to read. It says, Although glory is ahead for the living, their enthronement is already accomplished. Uh, what that means, I think, is that you know, if you believe in Jesus, when you go to heaven, perfect glory awaits you, right? Paradise awaits you. Uh, Jesus himself is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And if you believe in Jesus, then when you die, you will be right there with him. Uh, And he's saying that, you know, while we may not be there yet, our enthronement has already been accomplished. Um, And I think that the word accomplished is an awesome word to use when we're thinking about our salvation. Uh, It makes me think of the Gospel of John's account of the crucifixion. Uh, Listen to this passage from John chapter 19. Uh, Jesus is on the cross. He says, or it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there. So they put a, a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received it, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Uh, those two times that the word finished is used there uh, could also be translated as accomplished. Uh, It is accomplished. And that's as if to say, the whole point of Jesus coming to earth and stooping to our level to live as a human, right? Um, The whole purpose of him coming and living and experiencing temptation, but living in perfect obedience. Um, And then all of his suffering, the point of all of that was to accomplish me and you. Um, to accomplish our salvation, to save us from suffering, right? And that, that is a free gift. It is offered to you totally for free. And if you think about it, it's, it's amazing. Um, so I'm going to pray. Um, Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. We thank you for your amazing grace. And your free gift of grace, Lord. Uh, Thank you for coming and for making yourself known, Lord, and for sending your Son to die the death that we deserve. Would you constantly, constantly remind us that that is true. I pray in your name. Amen.